This is Tundiva Gatkins, and this is episode 21 of our Treasure Island Pedagogies podcast series from the Centre for Innovation in Education at the University of Liverpool, where we share our light bulb moments, teaching props and pedagogies, as we cohabit our Treasure Island, the space for contact time with students. I have the pleasure of introducing four guests today, Stephanie Berger, Rachel Crooks, Gustavo Espinosa Ramos and Matthew Tico. Hi everyone, can I ask each of you to briefly introduce yourself, your original discipline and your current role? Okay, so hi everyone, um, I'm Stephanie Berger, um, I'm a senior lecturer at Northumbria University um, and I tend to teach biomedical sciences um, as well as some medical uh, students at Northumbria. Uh, my discipline area is drug design and development, particularly for cancer therapy. Um, and I've been teaching since 2010. I've taught at a few universities, including the Open University um, and Pharmacy at Sunderland. Um, I'm a teaching excellence lead for my department, uh, and I'm really happy to be here today. So thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you, Stephanie. What about you, Rachel? Hello, I'm Rachel Crooks. I am head of Sage Campus, um, which is an academic publisher. So I'm um, involved in learning design for creating online courses for students and postgraduate students in higher ed. Before that, I worked on development of textbooks and online courses at other publishers. So I've spent about 20 years crafting learning experiences and resources for faculty to use. My own personal discipline, um, I have a degree in English and creative writing and went to some quite um, inventive and creative secondary schools, which I think has informed some of my approaches to, uh, to what I do now. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Rachel. What about you, Gustavo? Hello, my name is Gustavo. I am a course leader, module leader, a lecturer at the Westminster Business School. Um, my areas of expertise are related to sustainable business, business strategy, and also, well, I am from Peru. And also, I, I am very interested in, in the aspects related with pedagogy and uh, teaching and learning. Thank you. That's brilliant to have you here, Gustavo. What about you, Matthew? Hello, everyone. Uh, my name's uh, Matthew Tickle, and I'm a lecturer in operations management based in the management school at Liverpool. Uh, I did my bachelor's and my PhD in that area, both at Liverpool. Um, and I'm the director of studies for the master's programme in operations and supply chain management, which is obviously very interesting now with all the vaccine supply chains and everything. Um, I mainly teach project management and I've similar to Stephanie, I've also been teaching since 2010. So great to be here. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, brilliant to have you all. And sounds like you will have had lots of light bulb moments during your various activities uh, related to education. So can I ask you to share a light bulb moment with our listeners today? So this is the moment when you felt your students were getting it and what made it happen? I had a real think about this and, and there's been a few different examples, mainly because I began as an associate lecturer um, in 2010. So I had the opportunity to try quite a few different things um, with not being um, a sort of permanent member. And it was in 2015 that I started to really think about how I could support students in their experiences and expectations of their undergraduate project, because it's a big capstone module. It's worth a lot of credits. It can be really um, high weight bearing towards their degree. And I was aware that a lot of students would, would mutter amongst themselves that they weren't getting the same experience as their friends and various things like that. And at the same time, staff had their own concerns around what students were and weren't able to do. So out of that um, was some research that I did with students as partners to try and understand um, 
what the perceptions and expectations were like, where were the differences and where were the similarities and what sort of toolkit of resources could we pull together. And what was really lovely was students actually asked us to start to run some student-led conferences where they would organise them and they would share their experiences um, of carrying out a project and what they wish they'd known before they'd done their project, their top tips. And so they did that, the level six students did that for the level four and fives. And it was really well attended before COVID hit um, face to face. And I'm glad to say it's been attended just as well online, if, if not better online, if I'm honest. Sometimes it was the first sunny day of the year and you wouldn't get that many. Um, but what they found was it was a real light bulb moment all around. It was a light bulb moment for the level six students who suddenly realised that they had a lot to say. They developed a lot of graduate attributes. Their employability and their ability to articulate what they'd done was enhanced through being involved. The level fives went from being very daunted to I can do this and even more, I think I can look forward to this, know what I'm going to do. And then for me, it was seeing that if you give the students the opportunity to develop things and be involved as equal researchers and co-researchers with the staff, that it's really powerful that they can be very good change agents to develop resources and, and make a real difference. So it was a light bulb moment for everybody. Yeah, sounds yeah, sounds amazing. Well, for the final year students, as you said, and um, the yeah, the younger students, and for you as educator as well. Is that if if you wanted? Um, I mean, I guess this, as you said, you needed some work to set this up and really give the confidence to students. What aspects do you think were were important in that to enable them to have this confidence and to shine? So in terms of the students who got involved, it was very interesting. Um, those that volunteered um, weren't necessarily the best students. They all mm -hmm. had a very different reason to want to be involved. There was altruistic reasons to want to help other students. There were those who were hoping to get publications and things like that to try and push themselves forward. But more than anything, having just been through it, they really wanted to share that experience. Um, and so there wasn't an awful lot of work on my part to give them the confidence to get involved it was more they were really pleased that somebody was saying do you want to do something do you want to get involved and it's surprising how many students come forward mm -hmm. brilliant okay thank you stephanie any other uh, thoughts or any other light bulb moments i had so many to choose from um, <laughs> but the one that i've chosen to share is around the starting point for learning so you the fact that you don't have to start at the beginning so I don't teach in a classroom but I create resources for faculty to teach with so um, it goes back to when I was working on textbooks um, and textbooks you know follow quite a traditional narrative and structure they're often conceived to follow the module week by week and that can be quite trapping I think for faculty and for learners um, so, you know, working on yet another textbook where we started with two chapters on the history of or the theory of or the foundations of and just thinking, wow, is there, is there a better way to do this? And so working with a lot of authors to really try and shake things up within their textbooks and start somewhere different. Um, and also saying to the learners, yes, we might be starting here in the book, but you can start chapter six. You can start somewhere else. And even that first chapter can begin with something surprising or unexpected or something that is considered maybe something that should come at the end. So I really worked with authors to try and do that kind of thing so that they were more um, 
they were thinking less in a linear fashion because I think it was working out that as a learner, what, I'd, what, I, what I knew was that learning is quite an emotional experience. It's not just a clinical um, exchange. You, everyone comes in with different background, different experience, different hang-ups. Um, and so if you can actually bring people in at a place that they're not expecting, that's not the history of, then I think you can, um, you can, you can do something much more interesting. And I think maybe that, that comes from my creative writing background where you go to your classes. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. That is re I can really see the, your English or your, your narratives and how narratives might start at the beginning or they might start in the middle or the ends. So I could yeah. really see, yeah. But sorry, go on. Yes, that's it. You get you go in and you have to produce something straight off the bat. You are making things and then analysing them and figuring out backwards how you got there. Um, and you see how different everyone is quite quite early on in those classes. So, but I think that can be applied to any discipline um, and any type of learning experience. So that's something that I always try and bring with what I'm working on. But yeah, light bulb moment for me there. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you, Rachel. So I think it's very interesting you know, just to see how the idea to, to create different kind of short stories, like a, like a chapter, right? So at the end, every story or every chapter at the end does not have to be linked to the previous one. So actually, as you mentioned, right, you can start from a different one. Reminds me a bit like a, like a Netflix, right? <laughs> that you can start from any chapter, right, that is available there. And, and, and the reader or the student, maybe in that case, maybe you can start from, from any, any part that maybe is more, more compelling to them. Uh, wondering, but also if part of the, the learning, the, the tools that you're considering, for example, still using something like, uh, I don't know, like simulation games or online games as part of the, of the, of the tools for online learning? Absolutely. And I was hoping this would come up as well around branching activities. So activities or thought exercises where students get to make decisions and then content changes based on what they've decided. So, yeah, the simulation, I think, again, that's a really exciting pedagogical tool. That's my desert island one <laughs> um, <laughs> because you can then everyone gets a slightly different version. Mm -hmm. Gustavo, do you want to share your light bulb moment? Uh, sure. Uh, well, my light bulb, uh, light bulb moment is related for, for a model that I was leading uh, in the academic year, last semester too. It's about a model about the strategy, and the students have to produce a, a report. Okay, so a part of the teaching activities, learning activities that I designed was to share exemplars. But at the beginning, I was very, very concerned that the students might copy the exemplars and they might not promote creativity for them. So the idea to release this exemplar was not the whole specific uh, as previous assignments, or uh, it was sections on some specific assignments. So I shared examples from different kind of past, past, uh, past, past assignments from students, uh, focusing on some specific areas or sections, and I was related to the marking criteria. So I created a, a rubric uh, for the students, and when we have the seminar, which is more kind of practical activities, I was referring. Uh, okay, students, you sit here and uh, try to mark these specific uh, sections of the of these reports using the rubric, and they have to work in pairs. So I was just wondering how it's going to work, maybe my work, maybe might not engage, but because it was part of the assessment, uh, I think so they were very, very engaged. And I noticed that actually some students, uh, they were very, very harsh markers. So it was very interesting to discuss in the plenary then 
uh, to release your, the, the grades, right? When they were marking each kind of section. So for me, when we finish actually the activity and we have the plenary, I was just passing with working with small groups in pairs, checking how, how things were going. So that's something I noticed. And in the plenary, when I saw the plenary, I said, wow. So they get it. No? So it's so interesting how they were really, very uh, committed to the activity kind of remove this kind of barrier they have, this perception, no, it's not going to promote creativity. Actually, they're kind of very creative. They realize that they can mix different type of approaches with creating the reports. So that was something a light bulb actually for them, but also for me as well. Brilliant, thank you. And then what you were saying that the students were quite harsh in marking, how did that go on after the plenary or did, what, did, did you have some um, join discussions around that, but sounds ah. like as 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 um, yeah, I can see how valuable it was for the students to really engage with the criteria and discuss that with each other. Yeah, because uh, in order to capture all these moments, I created a, a poll uh, using a specific software, and. I allow the students to all of them to vote, right? So maybe they disagree with their peers when they were marking. So now is your chance, vote, and I create per each, per each section, the ah, it's, it's in 40s, it's in 50s, or it's 60s, and so on. No specific grade, whether it's the grade bands. And then when they have the results, I realize that, wow, the majority were very harsh in that section, no? And I don't think it's, it's, it's too bad, actually, right? But they have their own perspective. and. When this, I noticed that students engage really well when they saw the results that their own opinion, and then when they compared with the results that I provided, right? So that discussion actually was the key moment for them, no? So some of them, they were taking notes, and the idea for me was to make the students uh, assessors of their own performance, right? And that takes time. I only planned that one in one session, in one seminar. So I was thinking, hmm. Maybe I can do maybe different sessions, maybe two or three sessions before the assignment and see how it, go, how it works, right? So, so yeah, that was my experience. Great, thank you for sharing that, Gustavo. What about Matthew, your light bulb moment? Oh, yeah, so, um, so I, I, I teach project management, which is um, a very practical subject. Um, and in the lectures, I teach them the, the facts, as it were, so the theory on managing projects and people and the tools that are used to manage the projects and people. But the light bulb moment comes in about week six where uh, we have some sessions in the computer rooms. And in these sessions, I give them an example project that I've just, a fictitious project that I've just made up. And they have to create a project plan for that project using a piece of software called Microsoft Project, which is the, the, the most famous project management software that project managers use on a daily basis. So to do this, I give them some exercises in the class and the exercises help the students to build this project plan step by step. So they do it quite slowly um, and throughout the exercises, they're asked questions. So things like, for example, how long does this activity take? Um, what activity needs to be completed before this one starts? What's the end date for the entire project? That type of thing. So to answer those questions, they've got to go back to the lectures and use those tools that they've learnt in the lectures. Um, so I then walk around the room, answer the questions um, and the queries and check that their answers are right. And once they've finished all those exercises, they've got a fully fledged project plan. All right, it's, it's a very simple project plan, but it's a it's a fully completed one. And that's when I sort of say to them, look, you, you've made a completed project plan now. You, you've done what a project manager does 
every single day. So you know what project management involves now. And you can see that they, they get it then, that everything that they've learned in the past sort of makes sense. It wasn't just a load of boring theory and boring tools. It was like, oh, OK, so I understand now what project managers do. And some of them are, are quite proud of themselves and they think, oh, I'm going to put that on my CV. You know, I've created a project plan type of thing. Um, and, and it's quite nice in the end in module feedback because they a few of them say, oh, I now want to work in project management because I know what it is to do because management as a, as a as a general thing can be quite confusing they're not sure which area to go into um and and some of them say that they've secured project management jobs based on that they've gone for it a lot of them steal my stuff and ask for the slides and then when they have to do a presentation or something they use it but I, i'm not bothered because um they come to me and they say i hope you don't mind you know i used some of your slides or some of the the computer sessions type of thing it's like no that's that's what it's for you know like if it if it gets you further in your career then fantastic so so yeah it is quite nice for them to see oh right and that's the one thing that we've really missed out with covid because we couldn't get them into the computer labs because they were all at home um so i had to think of other ways of doing it and it, it wasn't quite as good so this year thankfully we're back in the labs um, and they, they 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 can get to used to this light bulb moment again. Brilliant! What what better praise for uh, <laughs> telling you to stealing stealing the slides <laughs> for them? <laughs> Brilliant! Yeah, again, that was a really nice way of of showing the confidence that the students gain on the basis of that. So thank you. Okay, so let, we've got um, project management, students and partners, um, textbooks. Uh, with unusual narratives or sparks to get um, people into the mix and assessments uh, in pairs to get students uh, familiar with rubrics and how, how the assignments are worked. So these are already on our boats that we row towards our treasure island. So is there anything in terms of teaching props or pedagogies that you would also like to pack for us while we rowing over? I think... Uh, the pedagogy maybe that uh, also I was working on, but it was in a different module, is problem-based based learning, mm -hmm. which actually is very linked with the authenticity and assessment. Uh, there is another module they lead, which is linked to sustainable business. And uh, for that specific topic, I think it's very suitable because the idea was so students, they select one specific city from a, from a ranking that we provided, and also they identify a real current uh, uh, sustainability issue. Could be social, environmental, economic issue. They select it. So give this freedom to the students to select and uh, focusing one real problem and the students find the solution to that real problem. I think was a really kind of a good way to engage students, give, give them options. They select the options and try to uh, try to solve a real problem. I, I, I think so in terms for, for sustainability was very suitable. I am very sure for any other model, it can be also very suitable as well, just to find, we mentioned before about project management, whether working for real companies, proposing brands from, from uh, startups or small companies, whether we can embrace this activity, for example, with uh, in my model, we create a poster competition out of the, out of the, the posters that the students have to produce as well for a different assignment. So I think that's very, very, very interesting, actually, pedagogy that in my case of sustainable business was very, was very suitable. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. That's a, what a great project, Gustavo, as well, and very useful. 
OK, and so we've got problem based learning and student choice. Anything else to take with us? Yes, yeah, so um, I, one of the words that Gustavo just used there was authentic. And I think that is something that um, I've noticed when I've been working with students as partners, that there's a real room for authentic learning inquiry. Um, and from some of the things everybody said today, so for example, um, typically when we think of authentic learning inquiry, we do think about working with employers. Um, so sending students out, if you like, to work in the real world. But one of the things that's come about when I've been doing my work is that sometimes when we're thinking about authentic learning inquiry, in terms of developing a community of practice, getting the students to work collaboratively um, with somebody, actually you can have an internal community of practice as well. So um, when I'm working with students as partners or students with each other um, on an important um, project, then that is a form of authentic learning inquiry, a little bit like those conferences that I described earlier. So I think that would be one that I'd bring along. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to put a vote in for branching scenarios because I just think they're endlessly fun. And who didn't have a book um, where you got to choose your own adventure? I've just started buying those again for my children and really enjoying going back to them and actually remembering the covers and all that. So I think, yeah, branching scenarios is a must for me, uh, whether it's a video that you pause and you ask questions and then it changes or it's simple text or multiple choice questions with a scenario. That is an absolute must have for me. Um, and I'm really interested if anyone here has tried this. Um, this isn't branching, but another tool that I think might be Desert Island worthy <laughs> is um, <laughs> Where you ask MCQs, you do an MCQ and the student has to choose the answer, but they also have to say how confident they are that they're correct. So they rate their confidence from one to four that I'm so I'm 100% confident the answer is B or I'm 50% confident. I'd love to know if anyone here uses those because we're thinking of trying them and I think they sound quite um, fun for the learner to really reflect on, on where, where you're at with your confidence. Anyone tried them? We, we use MCQs a lot, but I've never actually gone to that next level of asking them that level of confidence. So I use them in a variety of ways, either as the main assessment for the medical students, or if I do like say an online document, like a little rise document for them to work through, I might break it up with some MCQs. But I think that's a lovely idea that I'll try and actually add in that question, how confident do you feel? It's interesting, yeah. right, to use it, but uh whether might be suitable uh, to start, for example, as a formative assessment. Because if it's MCQ, if it's formative, maybe there's not much pressure in terms of time to respond to questions, right? But if it's formative and it's MCQ, maybe some students might create a bit of, they might be a bit anxious to answer the questions, but then answer another way how they are feeling uh, confidence about the answer might, might be a bit, uh, difficult maybe for them, but maybe if as formative, uh, would be interesting to experiment on that, uh, but during the lectures especially, just to see how concepts were delivered or as an, uh, as an asynchronous activity, so students can do it after the, the, the sessions. Great, okay. So yeah, Rachel, that might be a really nice one for you to explore. I know our med students in med so medicine tended to use it. I don't know if they are using it at the moment. It might be worth looking at also the current research on this. I don't know whether there may be a gender difference around confidence ratings of people. How? Um, so that might be interesting to, to follow up, but definitely um, 
those branching scenarios there is some there's a sense of excitement isn't there of what would happen and and what would be the outcome and then i guess comparing notes as well would be really interesting between students where they got up to okay matthew what about your teaching prop yes so, so that leads on, yeah it leads on really well i mean mine was a, i thought mine was a bit of a boring one but from what everybody said mine is is pole everywhere um for, for the reasons that you've all just said really and and i think Rachel, that adding that confidence thing in would be very useful in, in this scenario and just to have a, like a pie chart of how useful or how which concepts are students not understanding um, or they're not that confident on. And then, you know, if that's coming up in on, in the exam, maybe I need to do another session on that or something. But um, yeah, I mean, how I use the poll everywhere is similar. Um, I try and make a, a quiz, a project management quiz at the end of every lecture. Um, and I, I sort of sell it as a students always complain that they don't get enough feedback. So I feel like you almost have to say this is feedback. You know, like I'm giving you feedback now in the next five minutes type of thing. Make it really Brilliant. specific. <laughs> yeah, because it's the only way that they do it. So I sort of say this is your summative feedback, you know, and it's yeah, making sure that you've paid attention and that you listen. So um, how it works is multiple choice. Students open poll everywhere on their phones because they've always got their phones with them. Um, and the question comes up on the big screen and they have to choose the right answer using their phones and they receive points based on if they get the answer right. But also the quicker you answer, the more points you get. Um, so the answer is then revealed and then the screen shows a leaderboard of the top 10 students with the most points. So who got it right and who got it right the quickest. Now, obviously, the students are given anonymized names and they only know they're the only one that knows what their anonymized name is. Uh, I think that's quite important because I think some students just wouldn't participate if the real name goes up on the big screen, especially because I've got like two, three hundred students in a class. So I think it can be quite daunting in that sense for some students. So that's really useful um, sort of feature of poll everywhere, if you like. Um, and then we move on to the next question and the leaderboard is updated. After each question, the points are awarded. The leaderboard moves around and you can see people changing positions. Um, and it's just a bit of fun, really, to get feedback to the students in a, in a sort of interactive way. Um, it's the kind of thing that I think only a third of the students would do in their own time. So it's almost like, right, I've got you in the lecture theatre now, you've got to do it, you know, type of thing. And it, it sort of t tells me which bits they've got right and which bits they've got wrong as well. So uh, at the end, the student with the highest score is obviously the winner. And it comes up in, on their phone and I think there's a confetti thing that plays. Um, and, and students get really competitive. I was a bit worried, you know, when you introduce something new, you sort of think, a student's going to like this. Is this is this a bit sort of noddy for them, a bit simplistic? But um, they got really, really competitive at it. And one student, before we were going in, I was waiting um, to go in. The, the person before me was um, had gone over the time and we were waiting with the students and I was just talking to them. And one student came up to me and he said, um, are we doing that quiz again today? And I thought, oh, no, he's going to say, I don't want to do that. Oh, no, I don't want to do that type of thing. And he was like, I said, uh, yes, yes, we are. And he said, oh, yes. And the, first, and the exact words he used were, which I had to bite my lip really, he said, oh, it's so exhilarating. And I had to sort of bite my lip and not laugh really, because I thought it was quite funny. But it's funny that one of those things that you think, oh, are students liking this or not? And then you think, oh, thank God they are type of thing. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fairly obvious one, but I think it's quite useful in the sense that it makes it a little bit fun. I think this also is linked to gamification of learning. 
because students are learning uh, in order to get more points, and at the end there is a winner, right? So I think it's, it's, it's kind of a literature uh, reading about that. And uh, also, uh, Matthew really liked that uh, you're using this function, new functionality of polyvalent, which is competitions, right? Uh, at, at, at least the good point about sort of using that, that software that you mentioned, polyvalent, is like there is no the music background when you're using Kahoot. <laughs> when you're using Kahoot for the games, so it's a very strong song. <laughs> But I'm wondering, Matthew, whether uh, uh, when you finish this activity at the end of every session, every week, uh, to identify who is the kind of the winner, right? For uh, at the end of the sessions or or, or the, the 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 whole weeks of classes, is there a reward for them, or this is just more formative, or is a prize for them? I mean, the, yeah, I, I did at uh, one year. I did um, give out little packets of sweets to the winner. Um, but then somebody said to me, oh, I'm not sure if you should do that because, you know, they might not like that particular type of sweet. So I don't know. I think I'm always a bit worried of sort of upsetting somebody or something, you know, but it's um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a good idea to, to have some form of a reward. I think sometimes at first I was thinking, oh, who is student number four, five, six, seven, eight type of thing? Put your hand up because you're the winner. And I did it once and nobody put their hand up and I thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that because I think people are quite shy. They don't want to brag that they are the winner type of thing. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's a difficult balance of knowing what to do in that sense for the reward. But I think it's a good idea. It's a really good idea to have some form of a reward. I just wanted to ask if you found a difference between different year groups. Because Tarva just mentioned Kahoot there, and I use Kahoot across the three years. And as you say, it's got a great little theme tune. It's even got a Halloween version and a Christmas version, and the students love it. Um, and, and exactly like you've said, Matthew, it really creates that. It is almost an exhilarating experience because I quite enjoy it as well, waiting to see if the same person's on the top or not. And you really get into it. But I've found the level fours or the first years adore it much more than the final years. And I don't know if there's a mindset shift now from I've just joined uni, I want to have this bit fun, and now it's a bit, I'm really focused on those final exams, or if it's just maybe my cohort, I don't know. Have you found any differences? Yeah, it's a good, yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I unfortunately haven't used it on, on first years as much. I've used it, I use it on third years um, and master's students. So but the, the module I teach is like the first module of master's students. So in effect, I suppose they're brand new to it. Um, and that it was the master's students that said that it was exhilarating. Um, the third years, I get the idea that they they say it's fun, but I've heard a couple of times, some a couple of people saying, God, that, whoever that one was at number one, it got every single question right. Like, what a geek. And I thought, oh, that's not, that's not the point, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, there was one year I ran it and, you know, they can give their own names and imposter in, in um, Kahoot. And one person called themselves imposter and they were the top rank and the students thought it was me. And that created a bit of an half of saying, it really isn't me. I'm not imposter. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that they're great, but they have their caveats at times. Definitely. And I think that's a really good point. I mean, that would be an interesting study to see the difference between first years and third years and masters and undergraduates in that sense. Yeah, that's a really good idea for a piece of research. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. So that, that was a great discussion around in-class polling, active learning, and then also, so we've got a number of items here now for the islands, uh, items as in pedagogies and props. So 
Is that, uh, can you see using each other's or is there anything that we could add in addition to problem-based learning or uh, the the ones that you mentioned so far, the branching scenarios, obviously this, obviously the ones you're already using, because Stephanie, you mentioned that you're also using these uh, poll everyone in class polls. So any thoughts on how you could use each other's items or anything that we could still add to this that would enhance all these? I think it's interesting to, to, to use more the collaboration between students, right? Level six with level five, like a, like a way of kind of mentoring maybe them. So that also is linked, as I mentioned before, right? It's more about um, improving their employability skills, that, 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 that they can show that I mentor a specific student from a, a level four or level five. So that's something that I'm very interested to, to see as, as, a, as a bigger kind of project you know, for the university, maybe not necessarily for one specific model, but as, as a bigger project. And I have another colleague that maybe used something from foundation students. From foundation students, they, they were teaching master students, so the, the master students were kind of mentoring the, the level three students uh, in the business school. So that's something that's been intriguing as well. So I wanted to explore a bit more about that. Mm -hmm. Great, that's because uh, Stephanie was talking a lot about um, yeah these peer uh, links and communities of practice, which sounds yeah sounds like a great idea. Okay. And I guess Rachel, with your um, branching, I, I guess there's loads of examples of quizzes when you might have uh, adaptive questions. So depending on what students choose, then they might get higher level questions or lower. So that might be a nice application as well to add into the mix of combining these different items. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm quite keen on Gustavo's idea around giving them examples, exemplars. Um, and it may feel a bit like cheating at first, you know, oh gosh, I'm just getting to see what an amazing piece of work looks like. But actually, it's really effective to bring them behind the scenes, isn't it? And actually say, this is a great output and this is, this is why, and this is the criteria I'd use to evaluate it as a faculty member or market. So I'm wondering about doing more things like that in our courses um, because it's all asynchronous. It's really hard to get the feedback loop going. So have to try and think of static ways to do that um, where there mm -hmm. is still a feeling of contributing that the learners are actually giving, giving feedback back um, and learning from each other, even if it's from a static example that someone else has done. Mm -hmm. And I guess another theme that seemed to emerge from, I mean, you talked about project-based learning, authentic learning, and this idea of giving students a choice, which then motivates them to do more. So that's definitely a spirit or theme for our island, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so we have been working, well, you have been working really hard on, on the islands with the students. So let's talk about relaxing now. What would be your luxury item that you would choose to bring to the islands? Rachel, go on. You was oh, um, I would bring an endless supply of plants and some gardening equipment. I think that would be a great thing to have on the island, just to yeah, create that wonderful um, planted space that we'd have to keep us going, give us some hope. And one, one phrase that I've heard, and it replies to parenting, but I think it's also applicable to educators, and that you are a, you're not a carpenter, you're a gardener. You're not chipping away at something to create a, an absolute structure. You are creating the, 
creating the environment and then letting the plants do their own thing or thrive. So I feel like that will be a good mentality uh, if we've got the gardening mentality on our pedagogy island. Mm -hmm. And then obviously this is something you would do in your free time to enjoy as well. Like, oh, in addition 100%. to completely passionate about your job as educator that you would still link it to the, but yeah, it's a lovely metaphor. Thank you. Any other luxury items? So this probably sounds a little bit boring, but I make sure I brought plenty of pens and paper with me. I've got, I write everything down. As everybody's been talking today, I'm scribbling, I'm always writing. And I do a lot of teaching of writing to the students. And I think writing helps us think. I think clear writing is clear thinking. And I just think give people opportunities to journal and collaborate and just, it could be about anything, about what they're experiencing when they're out there to help them relax. So that would be my luxury item. Brilliant. Yeah, I could yeah, see I Rachel's eyes going <laughs> as well at the joy of having pen and paper <laughs> to write. Brilliant. Thank you, Stephanie. Any other items? Uh, well, this is something that, uh, an item that I have been exploring a bit more uh, previously, and I thought I would not use it again. But I, 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 I participated in training to become a clown. <laughs> the idea was to become a clown for hospitals, right? As a way of healing, uh, using la laughter. And I, I realized I have been using some planning techniques in my, in my classes uh, in order to use the things that the students bring to the class, whether it's a question, whether it's something unexpected that happens in class and maybe uh, the, before I was feeling a bit embarrassed, but now I use it as an input just to kind of create humor and as a way that's a hook. And then when they poof, they, they, they have this start laughing, boom, I start actually talking about the theory or concept. And, and that is something that actually uh, I have been using. That's why I will bring to the, to the island uh, my red nose. And I have not have any clowning shoes, but maybe uh, I, would like to, I would like to bring it. And coincidentally here in, in, in Lima, I have been there, I have been again a training for clowning that they have been doing, I don't know, more than 10 years. And also, you never know, stand-up comedy as well. I went to a taster session as well, because I think it's a very good way to communicate with the students, find new ways, because they communicate now in a different way that, that I communicated before. So finding these new ways and, and I can bring maybe to the island, maybe I can make a show, you know, a stand-up comedy show, so I can entertain all the, all the persons who live there. Oh, sounds fabulous. Yeah, we would, I, mean, I think we would be all for, hoping to have some free tickets for this, uh, Gustavo. <laughs> Thank you. Matthew, what about your luxury item? Absolutely. It sounds like the perfect treasure island, really. I mean, all three of those things is like, you know, I, I find them very enjoyable, all three of them in, in that sense. But they, I mean, my, mine's more obvious and a bit more boring. Um, but, you know, if you give me your pens and paper and, and your, and your uh, comedy and gardening, then you, you can have a go on my Nintendo if you want. Mine would be the Nintendo. Um, honestly, like it's just pure escapism. Um, and I think we all needed that especially during the lockdowns. I mean, just crazy, wasn't it? I mean, I, I've had a lot of um, video games consoles. I grew up with Super Mario in the 1980s, um, but this is the one I will look back on the most. I don't think I'll ever get rid of this. I think I'll probably just keep it. Um, it just lets you, if you pardon the pun, it's a Nintendo Switch and it lets you switch off. Um, it just takes all that outside negativity. You can just get lost uh, in a game, but it, it's, it's, 
more fun if you've got somebody to play with in that sense. It's one of the, I think that's what Nintendo do very well. It's not one of those Call of Duty or FIFA where you just, it's just you playing against people online. It's one of those where you need people in the same room to 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 play against. Um, and I, I've I've forced my partner kicking and screaming now. She she's a gamer now because of it. Bought her one in in uh, in the lockdown. But I think there is a real need. And and Gustavo, you said it before. You know, for for games and education now, and the gamification in that learning should be fun. And and I almost feel bad saying that. I almost like don't want to say that to the students that you should be having fun because they're sort of, you feel like they're a little bit sort of well, I'm paying money for you to teach me. I'm not paying money for you to for you to uh, entertain me in that sense but i think that there is you know games offer that possibility for learning and fun and, and the branching thing that you were saying rachel you know i can see that in in simulations we use for project management you know what would you do in this scenario or you know the project's gone completely wrong what are you going to do a b or c and then it branches that would be great to have something like that in there because um as as stephanie was saying you know it it makes it fun not just for the students but you get out of it as well and I think they see that that you're having fun and it sort of makes them more fun it's like when somebody's got a very infectious laugh isn't it and 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 then you, you start laughing as well so I think anything that's that makes it fun without it being too sort of too silly if you like you know you can't just say right let's go around the room here is you know 200 nintendos let's play some super mario but um you know it, it's it's one of those where you can sort of make it relevant but also make it fun i think is is a, would be really useful rachel you've said that learning is an emotional experience um and it is and i think that adds to it doesn't it bringing a, a bit of gamification adds to that emotional experience and connection between people i think a lot of people think that lecturers just stand at the front and you know you must be quiet and listen to me type of thing whereas you know it, it's the opposite really because i think people just switch off from that don't they but um and maybe some people are, are a little bit more i mean whenever you try something new it's always a little bit worrying isn't it because you don't know if you're going to fall flat on your face or if people are going to like it you know um but you know we should be we teach we try to teach students that it's okay to make a mistake so maybe we should teach us ourselves that as well I will add, uh, sorry, that uh, sometimes when we try to explore this new way for teaching or to communicating first with the students, creating this uh, emotional space as well, but also cognitive space as well, sometimes don't feel disencouraged if we hear from maybe colleagues saying that that's not academic. And, and the idea when, when we try to make change is to break the status quo of teaching. It's not more a transmission type of a style, no? I taught you listen and then you learn. No, no, it's a, it's a different way. And the idea to, that's why I mentioned about the cloning techniques, taking on board different things, inputs that students brings you, don't judge this, this kind of inputs. Use it in a way that, ah, maybe that's something relevant to you. I can use it in order to create something learning. Uh, just a, a, a little example, right? Uh, I try to explain something concepts related with uh, uh, with uh, operations, a, a different module in operations management. And I remember the, some students didn't revise the concepts properly, and suddenly I tried to ask him, you know, "Why the motivation?" You know, and I asked him, "What do you like? Something that you watch or like?" And he told me. My, my sounds ridiculous, okay? But he thought, well, I watch Narcos, <laughs> the series in Netflix. And I said, okay, and I watched that series. I said, okay, let's use that as an example. So when I explain concepts of operations, how to transform inputs into outputs, I said, okay, let's use an example of Narcos when they produce these products, right? 
and the students get it. Bang. So the idea is when, when I mentioned about just the inputs, regardless of what is the input that they bring, we can create developing learning, building learning with them. Right, so, and, and I think we need to, to embrace the, the, the emotional space, enthusiasm that they have it, and don't be afraid of breaking the status quo. I was just gonna add, we talk about the learning journey a lot when we're designing courses, and it really is a journey. You're, it, it's so iterative, isn't it, when you're learning. I did a course last year, so I was a learner for a few months on a, on a FutureLearn MOOC, and so went through the journey and the ups and the downs and the iterative nature of, sort of grabbing hold of the stuff that I was learning um, how to do and it was that was a real eye-opener to that kind of up and down nature of it and the fact you need to connect with it in some way and be able to apply what you're learning in the real world so whether it's watching narcos and thinking oh they've employed this technique here which I've learned about it's those connections which I think um, are yeah so valuable and that fundamentally we're all trying to teach people to make those connections regardless of our subject area um, and make those decisions really well. Yeah, good. Okay. I, I think that 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 draws um, to our islands to a close. I, I think we have such a rich way of interacting with students, making choices, connections, companionships, having fun along the way. Structured fun that looks much harder then it may appear there's a lot more design behind making those moments of fun uh, possible. So thank you so much for all your contributions and the discussion. Uh, it's time to sail away to our treasure islands together. Thank you for listening to our listeners. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to our podcast. And uh, to, to join as a guest, um, you can fill out an expression of interest form. We will be running these uh, next year as well. And goodbye for now. And finally, a big thank you to our guest today. Bye. 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 Adios.